It is a beautiful day, and it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord together with you. I know we've been waiting for this weather for so long that uh, now that it's here, we just want to soak it up as much as we can. We were at uh, Lake Adam with the Shekinah group yesterday afternoon, and I think I got more sun yesterday afternoon than I got in the previous nine months combined. So <laughs> I'm sure some of you can identify with that. It is, it is just a great time of year to be outside, and I'm sure we're looking forward to that later on today as well. Although for now, we're looking forward to hearing from God's Word, and I want to introduce a new series that we'll be working through this summer in the letter of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a short letter, it's a short book of the Bible, and yet it is just jam-packed with profound spiritual truths. And we want to dive into that this morning. So would you bow with me and let's pray as we enter God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for all of your provision for us. And we thank you for your many blessings. And we thank you today for the blessing of a beautiful, sunny day. We pray, Lord, that we would never take any gift from you for granted, but that we would give you the thanks and the praise for it. And so we give you thanks today, Lord, for the beautiful world that you've created and that you sustain by your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, today will go about our various activities, that we won't forget you or the word that we hear this morning, but that your word and your Holy Spirit would sink these truths into our lives, that it would affect us, Lord, as we go about our lives. We pray, Lord, for the many who can't be here today. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them wherever they are and add a special touch to their day. Uh, Lord, we pray especially for those who are suffering illness right now, those in Bayside or elsewhere who aren't able to be here, Father, and yet we know that you are with them, and we pray that you'd be with them in a special way even right now. We thank you as well, Lord, for the many who we as a church have the privilege of standing behind in support, both financially and with our prayers. And we think especially, Lord, of Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. We thank you, Lord, that they are beginning a full uh, week of campers this week, and we pray, Lord, that you would be with them in a special way, supply their needs, we ask, whatever they are. We pray that you would be with the, the cabin leaders, be with Howard and Kathy as they direct the camp, and the many other staff members who are working there. We pray for safety, and we pray that above all, Lord, you would do that work that only you can, that young campers' lives would be touched by your love, and that they would leave changed by it. And so we pray for that this summer, Lord, both this week and for all the weeks to come. We pray as well, Lord, for the many missionaries who we have the privilege of standing behind and with uh, around the world. And so we pray, Lord, for them. We pray for safety and protection wherever they are. We pray that you would equip them with whatever they need for the many challenges they face on a daily basis that we can't even imagine. And so we pray for them, Father, and we ask for you to undertake for them. And now, Lord, we pray that you would be here in our midst. We pray for you to be here in a real way that we would sense your presence. We know you are here, and yet we want a fuller awareness of your Holy Spirit within uh, this time and place. So speak to our hearts, to our minds, Lord. Open our ears that we can hear, our eyes so we can see. And we pray your blessing upon this word. May it touch our hearts according to your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Who here is familiar with the Peanuts cartoon strip? Anyone here familiar with Peanuts? Okay, some of you are familiar. Who here enjoys Peanuts? <laughs> Fewer hands are going up, but I want to share with you uh, a particular Peanuts cartoon strip that caught my attention that I thought was uh, as humorous as Peanuts cartoons can be. It goes like this. 
Lucy and Linus are sitting in front of the television set when Lucy says to Linus, Linus, get me a glass of water. Linus looks surprised. Why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. On your 75th birthday, Lucy promises, I'll bake you a cake. Linus jumps up, heads straight to the kitchen, and says, Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. As I said, mildly amusing. (laughs) Even that little cartoon uh, strip illustrates the point that I want to draw out for you this morning. Having something to look forward to, having a future that we can have hope in, makes our present reality change drastically. You know, when we have things that we look forward to, even short term, if we're looking forward to something at the end of the, end of the week, like maybe you have a birthday party or, or a, a day at the lake, you know, and you've got that chore list that's got to get done during the week, but you know you've got this to look forward to on the weekend, it just kind of makes that chore list a little bit more bearable, right? You, you attack it with a little, bit more, a little bit more fervor, a little bit more energy because you have something that you're looking forward to. Now, that's just a small example of how it is with our entire lives. God has given us a tremendous future and hope to look forward to. Uh, An eternity with Him that awaits. A heaven that is full of such vast wealth and wisdom and love that we can't even imagine that He sets out before us. And so He says, here is something you have to look forward to that will make your present reality that much better. Even though you have to face challenging things Today, you can look forward to the future with hope. Now, we know this truth here today, and yet, as we look at the world around us, as we see the news coverage and we hear the things that increasingly are happening in our culture today that are drawing people away from God, drawing people away from this hope, saying that this world is all there is and it's all we have. As this is increasing in the world around us, we see an increase of despair an increase of hopelessness. Rather than a world brimming with hope, looking forward to a better future ahead, we are now living in a world that is looking forward with dread to the future. Not even within the Christian realm, but within the secular realm, we see people expecting things to get worse, not better. And so I think it's safe to say that we are living in the last days of a dying world. We are living in the last days of a world that is filled with more human suffering, more misery and despair on a global scale than we can possibly comprehend. And I know on a beautiful sunny morning in the most blessed corner of the world, it's hard for us to understand that today. Do you realize we are living in the sweet spot of the world today? Clarny, Manitoba, really that sign is accurate. I used to laugh at it, but really there's no better place. Go around the world today, and can you find a better place than Clarny, Manitoba? Go to Syria. Go to Iraq. Go to Afghanistan. Go to to Africa and Sudan. Go to places where suffering and misery and fear is a part of your daily existence. And suddenly you realize Clarny is a pretty good place to be. We have been blessed with safety and prosperity here by God in amazing ways, and yet in the world around us, that is not normal. In fact, We are the exception. And so today as we look at the world that is so desperately in need of hope for a future, 
And we realize that we have that answer in God. I want to ask you, do you have an unshakable hope in God? Are you, are you positive in that hope that God has something greater reserved for you in the future? He has something that he has yet to reveal to you. Do you have that unshakable hope this morning? I'm seeing a few nods. That's, that's a good thing. Because I want to tell you that if you have that unshakable hope, that is a tremendous gift. That is something that the vast majority of people in this world do not have. And if you know that hope in God, you know that it not only is giving you something to look forward to in the future, but it's giving you motivation for the present. It's giving you inner strength to face every single day and whatever challenges you have to face in the here and now because you know that no matter what challenge or trial you have to face today or tomorrow, it will be rewarded in the future. And this is the core message of Peter's first letter, which is what we will be studying, of course, in our new series, Living Hope for a Dying World. To give you a little bit of background on this letter, I want you to turn there this morning if you have your Bibles. First Peter, it's a small little book at the back of your Bible. You'll find it if you flip around often enough. I'll give you a hint. It comes before Second Peter, if that helps you. So turn to First Peter. And here we see that Peter is writing this epistle or letter uh, to the suffering and persecuted church that is scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He begins in verse 1 of his letter with this greeting. I want you to listen to this. He says this to the Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. To God's elect, strangers in the world. To God's elect, strangers in the world. Another translation says aliens in the world, meaning you do not belong here. Perhaps a better translation is sojourners in the world. Some of you will already be familiar with the term sojourner. Those of you who are not, let me, let me uh, give the definition. A sojourner is someone who has taken up temporary residence at a location. You're not, you're not permanent. You're not in a fixed address. You're in a temporary residence. That's what it means to be a sojourner. And so a good example of a sojourner are the trailer parks and campgrounds that are filled up all around us during the summer months. You know, we see everyone pull in with their RVs and their fifth-wheel campers. But these people, as they pull into these spots on the, on the campground or the trailer park, we know that they are simply sojourners because this campground is not their, te- is not their permanent residence, it's a temporary residence. And even if they stay there for the entire summer, they will still be heading somewhere else, I guarantee you, when the temperature drops to minus 35 and the snow flies. And I'm sorry to have to bring that up today. I really am. Today's the day we don't want to think about that. But it will come, and so they will be moving on elsewhere. They are sojourning in a temporary location. And so as we flip that back to what Peter says, he is saying that Christians are sojourners on this earth. They are only temporary residents with our true and permanent residence already secured for us in heaven. So basically, Peter is saying, don't get too comfy cozy in this life. Don't worry so much about what troubles or trials you're facing here, because God has something far better, far greater, already reserved for you for all of eternity. A permanent residence that he himself is making for us. Incredible. This is the hope 
that we have, even as we journey through this life. Let's look ahead to verses 3 to 5. Peter then says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. What an incredible statement that this is ready to be revealed to you in the last time. I believe we are living in the last time. And so are you ready for the revelation of Jesus Christ? Because he is ready to be revealed to those who are longing for his appearing. And for those who are longing for it, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. What an incredible passage. What a precious truth that should absolutely thrill the soul of every believer. So why doesn't it then? Why doesn't it thrill our souls? Well, okay, define thrill. Like, what do you mean by thrill? Like, it it kind of excites me a little bit, but are we thrilled by this truth? Like, are we ecstatic? Are we just kind of like, you know, we're excited the same way we'd be excited about going to the lake on the weekend? You know, like, how excited are we really about this inheritance that is reserved for us? You know, I think part of the reason we don't get more thrilled about this is because we here in Canada have had things so incredibly good for so long that we barely even think of heaven as an upgrade over our current circumstances. And so rather than taking up temporary residence in the campground of this life, we have begun building permanent residences here as though it were going to last forever. But how absurd is that? Just imagine if you're at a campground and someone pulls into the site next to you, not with a fifth-wheel trailer or with a tent or something like that, they pull in with a trailer full of construction equipment and they begin building a house on a campground lot. You'd be like, what are you doing? This is temporary. Like, you've got a weekend permit here. Like, you've got to move on. And they're just building away. No, 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 I'm taking up residence here. It's absurd. We would never do that. It makes no sense. And my friends, in Jesus Christ, Peter says we have a living hope for the future that is not only a light upgrade over our current circumstances. No, it is one that is better and brighter and bigger in every possible way. One that will never, ever perish, spoil, or even fade. Not even fade. You know when you're You bought that new toy, that new car, that new ATV, that new tractor, and you're so proud of that paint job. It's so bright. But even a year in the sun, and it's fading. It's not quite as vibrant as it was. It fades. But in heaven, not even the fade will ever come off. It is going to be incredible forever. But you see, when we no longer view ourselves as strangers in this world, when we no longer view this as a temporary residence, but as a permanent dwelling place for us, we lose sight of what we are really living for and where we are living for. You see, the greatest danger for the heart and soul of a believer of Jesus Christ is not trials and difficulty. I believe one of the greatest dangers for the Christian is peace and prosperity. That's quite a statement, isn't it? 
It's not that God doesn't want to bless us with peace and prosperity, but the great danger is that in our peace and prosperity, we so easily become self-reliant and stop trusting in God to provide. We start thinking that it's because of our work and our self-sufficiency that we've achieved all of this and not the blessing of God. And we stop looking to Him and we start looking to ourselves. The greatest danger for the Christian life is not danger and trial. It's peace and prosperity. And I believe it's the main reason why the church in Canada and the United States has become increasingly complacent, increasingly apathetic, and increasingly open to compromising the truth of God's Word. But I want to contrast that with the scattered and persecuted church. The church that Peter is writing to in the first century. Those people had no such problems. Why? Because through trials and suffering, their faith in God was being strengthened, not destroyed. In fact, God was allowing them to experience temporary pain for eternal gain. Temporary pain for eternal gain. That is how God always works. 1 Peter, again, chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Read along with me. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to tell you that right now, right now, Christians in many other parts of the world are suffering tremendous persecution. And they are experiencing the reality of this truth in this passage from Peter. Right now in Syria and Iraq, if you pull up any news website and dig long enough and hard enough, you will find all kinds of reports of Christians being horrifically assaulted and persecuted. One that came from this May comes from an eyewitness survivor of one of these assaults. Her name's Sister Ragida, a former head of a Christian school in Damascus in Syria. And she described one horrific event that occurred just a short time ago when the Muslim militants attacked their community. They went to the Christian school and they lined up the students at gunpoint and they were given the choice convert to Islam or die. Most died. According to Sister Agita, the Muslims then captured two more youths and said to them, so you want to die like the teacher in whom you trust? Then choose, either renounce him or be crucified. And the boys both refused to renounce faith in Jesus Christ, and this May, one of them was crucified in front of his father, who they forced to watch and was then killed as well. And the nun went on to tell the radio station that the jihadists then entered the city of Malulu and started killing men, women, and children indiscriminately and without mercy. They did many barbaric things that I'm not even going to describe. They are so horrific. And these brothers and sisters of ours right now, today, are so convinced that God has something better in store for them that they are willing to suffer and die for it. This brings the reality much closer to home for us as we sit here in the sweet spot of the world right now with peace and prosperity all around us, that brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering and dying for Jesus right now because they are so convinced that this is true. 
And it is only we Christians here in Western culture that have yet to begin adjusting to the public opposition to the faith. You know, we are only beginning to experience opposition and we feel like, oh, the injustice of it all. Oh, what indignity that we would have to be insulted for being a Christian. You know, this past week, our Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, on Twitter posted uh, a brief phrase saying, God bless Canada and God bless everyone in it. I'm paraphrasing. And the responses that came on his Twitter feed had the most hate-filled vitriol that you could ever have spewed back at someone saying, which God are you referring to? How dare you bless me with an imaginary fairy in the sky and all these other statements? There was a laundry list of them. That's what our Prime Minister got for just saying, God bless Canada. You know, and it seems crazy, and yet this is what is increasingly happening. And are we willing to be insulted and persecuted? Are we gladly going to receive that as the disciples did to suffer willingly for the sake of our faith in Jesus Christ as we see our brothers and sisters around the world doing that may it motivate us to deeper faith and deeper conviction to live it out not being afraid of what opposition can come against us because I believe that the time is drawing ever closer when Christians in Canada and the United States will begin to suffer more persecution for the faith in more extreme ways than what we are currently experiencing But I want to tell you, though I say that with some foreboding and some personal fear, we don't need to be afraid of it. We don't. We don't need to look at the future with one ounce of dread or fear. And why is that? Because we know that no matter what, God will be with us. And whatever pain he allows us to endure will be for our ultimate good. Because remember, this is just a temporary residence. This is not permanent. I want to share with you an old story that is told of a king in Africa who had a close friend that had a peculiar habit of always saying, this is good. No matter the situation, whether positive or negative, the remark was always the same, this is good. And so one day the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition and the friend would always load and prepare the flintlock guns for the king. But on this occasion, the friend had apparently done something wrong in loading the gun. For when the king fired, the gun exploded in his hand, and his thumb was blown clean off. No thumb. Gone. And the king's friend rushes over, and upon examining the mangled hand, he says his usual comment. This is good. To which the furious king replied, No! This is not good! And he proceeded to have his... friend thrown into prison. He was so angry. And so his friend is in prison for almost a full year. And a year later, the king is out hunting again, and he strays into a very dangerous area where he is captured by a tribe of cannibals who carry him off to their village. They tie his hands, bound him to a stake, and proceeded to stack wood around him. But as they were about to set fire to the wood, they noticed that the king was missing a thumb. And they had a superstition that they never ate anyone who was less than whole. So untying the king, they sent him on his way. And as he returned home, the king was reminded of the providential event that had taken his thumb. And suddenly he was hit with a wave of remorse for how he had treated his friend. And so immediately he went to the prison to speak with his friend. He found him and said, you were right. It was good that my thumb was blown off. 
and he proceeded to tell his friend the story. As he concluded, he said, And so I am very sorry for sending you to jail for so long. It was a bad thing for me to do. To which the friend quickly replied, No, this is good. What do you mean this is good? You've been rotting in prison for a year. How could that be good? To which the friend replied, If I had not been sent to jail, I would have been with you. And I'm not missing any body parts. This is good. You see, hidden within every trial is God's provision. Hidden within every trial is God's provision. But do we recognize it? Do we see it for what it is? You know, who here enjoys pain? Anyone? Okay, good. Good. We have a healthy congregation. That's a good thing. Most people don't like pain. But did you know that pain is actually God's provision for your ultimate good? Do you recognize it as such? For instance, if you touch a hot stove, it's the sensation of pain that causes your hand to instantly recoil away from the danger so that it won't be burnt any worse than it already is. But now imagine if you felt no pain and you touch that hot stove and your hand doesn't move away. You might not move it away until you smell that something is burning, right? This is not good. And so pain is God's provision for our protection. Pain is also the best teacher. Through pain, we learn valuable lessons that we could never learn any other way, like not to touch that hot stove. A child might do it once, but they're not going to do it a second time. You know, and in the same way, God uses pain in our lives to protect us, to teach us, and to mold us more into his image. And so in the pain, trials, and sufferings, and even, yes, persecution that you may face, do you recognize that God is not only allowing those things, but that he is providentially using those things to forge your faith and your character so that your life may result in bringing praise, honor, and glory to Jesus Christ? Yes, hidden in every trial is God's provision. And just as God provided for the Christians of the first century who were scattered, hunted, and fed to the lions in Roman Colosseums, and just as God is providing for the persecuted Christians in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere today, God is providing for you. Whether you recognize it or not, God has his provision right now in your life for your ultimate good. Do you recognize it? You see, one of our biggest problems in failing to recognize God's provision is that we tend to get so caught up in the material and monetary aspects of life. A missionary from many centuries ago, Hudson Taylor, exemplified what complete trust in God's provision looks like. In his journal, he wrote this. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. And he sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China. But if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. We can depend on it. That God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And so today, there are over an estimated three million missionaries and church workers in China today. Imagine if Hudson Taylor was alive to see God's provision for China. 
Incredible that even centuries ago he believed God for it and he trusted him in it. And God used Hudson Taylor to be one of the forerunners of the church in China today. And so though we are living in the last days of a dying world, God has provided us with a living hope that can never die. And this hope is not only for ourselves, it is the hope of the world. There may well be some of you here today that are facing some difficult challenges in your life. You're facing a trial that you can't see a way through. And you're struggling to understand why God is allowing it to happen. Peter's message is for you. Trust in God's provision. Cling to the living hope of Jesus Christ. And believe that God is using this trial in your life so that your faith will be refined and strengthened. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here we see that Peter values faith more highly than anything in this world. It's more precious than gold. It's, it's something that you would never trade anything for. And God sustains it and strengthens it through trial. And so Peter tells these Christians that though they have been suffering grief in all kinds of trials, this is only for a short time. And these trials are temporary. And so look ahead to what is to come. I want to tell you the story as we close of a man named David. This uh, story was first shared by Gary Smalley in his book, The Gift of Honor. It begins during the Vietnam War. David went through rigorous training to end up becoming a part of the elite special forces team, the Navy SEALs, that were used on dangerous missions behind enemy lines. And during a nighttime raid on an enemy stronghold, David was wounded and horrifically burned on over 80% of his body, including most of his face. After miraculously surviving over a dozen excruciating operations, he was lying on his bed in the burn ward. But David wasn't alone in his room. There was another man who had also been wounded in battle and was also a nightmarish sight. He had lost an arm and a leg, and his face was badly torn and scarred. And one day the roommate's wife came on a visit from the United States. When she walked into the room, she took one look at her disfigured husband, and she became instantly nauseated. Turning away out of the room, she composed herself only to come back in, take off her wedding ring, and put it on the nightstand next to him. She said, I'm so sorry, but there's no way I could live with you looking like that. And with that, she walked out the door. He could barely make any sounds through his torn throat and mouth, and the soldier, though he could not speak, he wept and shook for hours. And two days later, he died. This poor, wounded soldier, knowing that his wife no longer saw any value in him, and that through the wounds he had suffered, he would never be able to look any better for anyone else in this world, it blew away his last hope that someone somewhere could find worth in him, that there was a future to look forward to, and he lost the will to live. And so they take him away, and three days later, David's wife arrives from the United States. After just having watched what had happened with the other soldier, his heart was filled with dread. What kind of reaction would his wife had towards him? David knew full well that he portrayed an absolutely grotesque picture. 
and although he had once been a handsome man, he knew that he now had nothing to offer his wife or anyone else because of his appearance. He felt more alone and worthless than he had ever felt in his life. But David's wife, a strong Christian, walked in the room, took one look at him, came over and kissed him on the only place on his face that wasn't covered in bandages. And in a gentle voice, she said to him, Honey, I love you. I'll always love you. And I want you to know that whatever it takes, whatever the odds, we're going to get through this together. And she hugged him where she could avoid disturbing his injuries as best she could. And she stayed by his bedside for the next few days. And watching what had happened with the other man's wife and seeing his own wife's love for him gave David tremendous strength. It changed his outlook completely. It renewed his will to live. And more than that, her understanding and acceptance reinforced his own relationship with the Lord. And he recommitted himself to Jesus Christ. In the weeks and months that followed, David's wounds slowly but steadily healed. It took dozens of operations and more months of agonizing recovery, but today, miraculously, David can see and hear. And a couple of years ago on national television, David made an incredible statement on a Veterans Day speech. This is what he said. I am twice the person I was before I went to Vietnam. For one thing, God has used my suffering to help me feel other people's pain and to have an incredible burden to reach people for him. The Lord has let me have a worldwide positive effect on people's lives because of what I went through. I wouldn't trade anything I've gone through for the benefits my trials have had in my life, on my family's life, on my marriage, and on countless teenagers and adults that I've had the opportunity to influence over the past number of years. What an incredible testimony of how our faith is strengthened by our trials. We become closer to God, and Peter concludes his description of the purified faith like this. Though you have not seen him, yet you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May that increasingly become a description of each one of us, as we daily live out the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as sojourners in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that today we can have a living hope, a hope that will never perish, spoil, or even fade, because it is reserved for us by you in heaven, awaiting each one of us who, by faith, put our trust in Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that it is so simple that, Jesus, we just have to believe that you are the Son of God, that you came into this world, that you died in the place of sinners to forgive our sins, and then you rose from the grave to defeat death, never to die again, and that when we put our faith in you and we simply say, yes, Jesus, I believe, come into my life, change me, help me to live for you, that is the day that faith is born and that living hope is planted in our hearts only to grow up into eternity. And so, Father, even today as we have not yet seen your face, we look forward to that day. And we pray, Lord, that you would increase our love for you more and more day by day, that no matter what the future holds, no matter what trials we currently face, that our hope in you will sustain us, will encourage us, 
and that someday soon we will be with you. Thank you, Father, for this living hope that we can have each and every day. Bless each one as we go now, in Jesus' name.